0: Welcome to the podcast of Grace Crossing Church, where life and faith intersect. Now, this morning, we're jumping back into our series, What Lies Beneath. And really, the, the, the primary focus of this series, What Lies Beneath, has really been designed to help us to move beyond what I call paper thin theology and skin deep spirituality to more Christian integration. In other words, bringing the gospel to bear on every single part of our lives, every single part of what makes us us. It is bringing the transformational power of Jesus Christ that is available to everyone who calls themselves a follower of Christ and letting the gospel inform the shaping of who we are. And so by way of illustration, we're using the iceberg. To illustrate what life is like, that so many of us live focused on the top 10%, but the lion's share of who we really are lies beneath. It lies below the surface. It is those parts of us that we hide, that we minimize, that we ignore, that we literally bury alive. Please hear that. They do not die. They just simply get buried alive, and then they leak out. They leak out of our life, they leak out of our love, they leak out of our leadership, they leak out of who we are. And so in this series, we're talking about prescriptions that will enable us to move beyond paper-thin theology where it's all about, I believe and I go to church. That is not what Jesus had in mind. Please understand that. That is not what it means to be a fully surrendered follower of Jesus Christ. And so how do we move beyond paper-thin theology? How do we move beyond skin-deep spirituality that's all surface? It's all about looking the part, maybe saying the right things, maybe even doing some good works. But it's missing the heart. It's missing what God really has in mind. And so, so far in this series, we've looked at four prescriptions, and we introduced the fifth last weekend. And we call these prescriptions strategically. Strategically. These are prescriptions for people who realize they're sick. Who realize that their Christian life has not really been lived up to what they believe God would desire and what the gospel of Jesus Christ calls us to. They are prescriptions for people who want to get healthier and who want to become more integrated, their spirituality with their emotional life. And so our big premise in this entire series is that emotional maturity and spiritual maturity are inseparable. We cannot become spiritual adults while remaining emotional infants. We've got to bring God into every single part of our being. And we do that by living these prescriptions. So we've talked about four already. Last weekend, we introduced the fifth, which we simply are calling daily rhythms. Daily rhythms. Now, I'm going to borrow a title for this, and I shared this last weekend from Ruth Haley Barton's 2006 book. And I'm borrowing the title because I believe that her title captures it. She calls it Sacred Rhythms, and here's the subtitle, Arranging Your Life for Spiritual Transformation. Let's be honest. In most of our lives, we let... Our life arrange us. We do not arrange our life. We let our calendar drive us. We let someone else tell us what the priorities of our life ought to be. And we do it to the neglect of our own self, to the person that God created us to become. And so we're talking in this particular prescription about how we live sacred rhythms, how we arrange our lives for spiritual transformation. And to do that involves four practices. We talked about the first and the second last weekend. And I want to retouch on those this morning for all of us because these are so significant. And if you're just joining us this morning, we want you to get this because this is really hard. And it's hard because it's countercultural. And it's hard because it's counterintuitive. We don't see value in it. But these practices are so significant. And I've learned them in my own life. There were a lot of trial and error and hard work and a lot of mistakes. And here they are. The first one is practice slowing down. Practice slowing down. So for those of us that were here last week with us, how'd you do this week? Did you take your foot off the gas even just a little to drop yourself down just one mile per hour to be able to stop hurry in your life? Now, by way of reminder, slowing down is not simply about eliminating hurry from our life, though we all desperately need it. Slowing down is not about doing less. It is about becoming more. Let me say that again. Slowing down is not about doing less. It is about becoming more. And so, according to Jesus, arranging our life for spiritual transformation means that we slow down with purpose. And what's the purpose? We slow down to enjoy loving union with God, time with God, time in his presence. Now, Jesus actually spoke about this. John's Gospel, chapter 15. Here's what he said. Stay joined with me, and I will stay joined to you. Just as a branch cannot produce fruit unless it stays joined to the vine, you cannot produce fruit unless you stay joined to me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you stay joined to me and I stay joined to you, then you will produce lots of fruit. But you cannot do anything without me. Do not confuse busyness with fruitfulness. Do not confuse busyness with fruitfulness. You can do a lot of good things in this life. In fact, you can be a highly successful purpose person. Like me, you can actually do a lot of God things in your life, but if we are not doing what we do with God for God then that it has little to no value and worth in eternity. And so here's what Jesus is suggesting. Jesus is suggesting that we are to live our daily activities walking in tandem with him. That, by the way, there's a word in the Bible for this, and the word is fellowship. It means that we are walking together side by side with someone else. The idea of having fellowship with God is the idea that we are walking in tandem throughout our daily activities and daily routines and we're bringing God along with us. That's what the word joined means. It means that we do not disengage our heart and we do not become disconnected from God as we go about our day-to-day activities. So in the words of one of my early ministry mentors, Jeannie Mayo, She said this, those who fail to come apart will come apart. Will eventually come apart. Here's is what she was saying. Those who fail to come apart to be with God will eventually fall apart. You will eventually find the wheels of your life coming off. And it often starts in the heart. Something happens in our heart where we get disconnected, we get disengaged. God becomes disenfranchised from us, from our daily life. And there's a price always to pay in that. And so my encouragement is that if we're going to create sacred rhythm, we need to, first of all, practice slowing down to be with God. Here's the second practice we introduced last weekend. The second practice is practice... A biblical work rest cadence. Practice a biblical work rest cadence. Tragically, most Christians do not honor or practice a healthy biblical work rest cadence because they don't respect it, they don't find it helpful. They don't see it connected to their healthiness or their holiness. And so because in life we often don't see the value in something, we then spend little to no time actually putting any legs to it, practicing it. And let me say this. We neglect biblical work rest cadence to the detriment of our own soul. Violence is done to the interior of our life, to our soul when we do not practice a healthy biblical work-rest cadence. So do you know how most people look at the work-rest cadence in their life? This is kind of what I would call a non-sacred model. An unhealthy, an unbiblical work-rest cadence. It looks something like this. Work, 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 day off. Work, 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 day off. Or we might say it like this, work, 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 collapse. Work, 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 collapse, right? This is how most people live out their life. This is the rhythm. Problem is with this rhythm, we really never stop working. Because what do we do in our day off? We ask ourselves this question, what do I need to get done today, right? That's the very first question we often ask, I did it for years. What is it today I got to get done, So you may stop doing your job, but you do not stop working. And this rhythm is that every so often, if things go well, and if life goes well, we might in this rhythm actually be able to throw in a vacation, or maybe two vacations a year, right? That's always fun. But but that all depends, of course, on one thing, the work demands. Because if the work demands are too high, then I don't have my time to take my vacation. Confession. There was a time in my life when I prided myself in saying, I don't need to take my vacations. There was a time that I prided myself in saying, I can do it without living or using all of my vacations. I do not do that anymore. And it's not because there's something that I'm trying to get back. It is because I recognize the value That God has in store for us. Let me just say this. This is a humanly manufactured cadence of life. This is not biblical. This is not God's design. It is not what God intended. It was not his purpose. But there is another way. There is a better way. There is a healthier way. There is a holier way. And that way is a biblical framework that looks something like this. This is what I would call a sacred work-rest cadence. Work, rest. Work, rest. Work, rest. And so on and so forth. Now, I know some of us here are scratching We're saying, how do you even begin to do this? Reality is, this is the way God designed our lives to live. Think of your life like your set of lungs. Your lungs are always what? Inhaling and exhaling. It is the natural way God has wired this cadence inside of your body. He's given you this breathing in and breathing out rhythm that God wants us to live. And by the way, go to the Gospels. And what you discover is that Jesus, the prototype of the human life, comes and lives here on the earth, fully God, fully man, fully human, and he models this healthy work Rest, cadence. He does it for us. He not only puts a priority to it, but he models it for his disciples because he wants them to experience firsthand what this feels like. And one of the striking illustrations of this is actually found in Luke's gospel, the ninth chapter. The first nine verses, Jesus actually sends his disciples on their very first missions experience. They come back from their missions trip, and here's what we read. Luke chapter 9, verse 10. When the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus what they had done. Then he took them with him, and they withdrew by themselves to a town called Bethsaida. Jesus said, listen, you've done work. Now it's time for us to withdraw to a retreat. And then verses 11. Verse 17, it's back to work. This crowd converges and the Bible tells us that Jesus transforms five loaves and two fish and he feeds a tremendous buffet to 5,000 people with doggy bags for leftovers. It was an incredible miracle. And immediately following that big miracle, here's what we read in verse 18. Jesus left the crowds to pray alone. Only his disciples were with him. So he's working, and now what is he doing? He's stopping again to take them apart, to teach them to wait upon God. Then it's back to work. Verses 19 through 27, Jesus returns to teaching. He returns to healing the sick. He gets busy doing what God had put him here to do. And then we read this in verse number 28. About eight days later, Jesus took Peter, John, and James up on a mountain to pray. So when Jesus couldn't get away from the crowds here on the earth, what does he do? He ascends to the top of a mountain. He goes to the mountain. He takes along with him three of his disciples that he wanted to experience this powerful work Rest cadence in all of our lives, what Jesus is modeling for us. And by the way, this is only one small illustration of a pattern you can watch in Jesus' life and ministry. He lives this, He does it flawlessly, He does it fully because He recognizes something. He recognizes something that many of us have failed to recognize and appreciate. We might call it our big idea today. What you do matters. But who you are matters so much more to God. What you and I do matters. But who we are matters so much more to God. So there's this tremendous rhythm that God wants us to find, this sacred rhythm that so many of us fail to see the power in, the significance in. And God knows that we don't do it well. So God decides to give us a gift, a tremendous gift, a way that we can live this, a way that we can learn to practice this. It brings us to the third practice I want to talk about in Daily Rhythms, and here it is. Practice the gift of Sabbath. Practice slowing down. Practice a biblical work rest cadence. How do we begin to do that? Thirdly, practice the gift of Sabbath. Now, by a show of hands, I'm just curious this morning, how many of you in our auditorium have at least just a rough idea, and just a basic idea, not theological, but you just have some semblance of understanding when you hear the word Sabbath? Can I I see your hand, if that's you? Okay, so most of us here do. There's a number of us that don't, and I would have expected that. When you hear the word Sabbath, what often comes to people's minds is a designed period of time, usually 24 hours, that is set aside for things that you cannot do or or, or things that you cannot experience. So when most people think of Sabbath, they think of the rigidity of a 24-hour period where you can't do this and you can't have that. And some of you here grew up in a framework, in a spiritual uh, environment where your idea of Sabbath was a can't do this and a can't have that mentality. There are things that I just can't do because it's Sabbath. And we often look at Sabbath as a rule and a regulation of what we can't do rather than a gift from God about what we can do. About what God is saying, I want to bless you with this. Because I love you this much. And so when I'm talking about Sabbath, I am not talking about the law of the Sabbath. I am talking about the spirit of the Sabbath. So when you go into scripture, what you discover is that the Sabbath was a part of the Jewish way of living out their faith. And it was legally prescribed. And along the way, because it was a legal prescription, it lost its intent. It lost its intrinsic value. It got relegated to a rule and a regulation, but the spirit of it got lost. And so when we come to the New Testament, what Jesus does is Jesus really reintroduces us to all the laws. And he says this. He says, listen, I did not come to simply get rid of all the laws. I came to fulfill them in me. In other words, I came to reaffirm their value and I came not to nullify their intent but rather to let you know how you can live them out in me. I came to give you, in place of that law, the grace and truth of how to do this. So here's what Jesus said. He said it very clearly in his first recorded message he ever gave. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 5. This is Jesus' words. Don't misunderstand why I have come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writing of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. And this is found right near the beginning of what we know as the Sermon on the Mount. And what's interesting is that Jesus follows on this statement by putting flesh to his words. What Jesus then does is he says, let me take some of these laws by way of illustration. Some of these Old Testament laws that you've lived with and let me reframe them for you. And he gives us these stunning examples of this very scripture of why he came to this earth. So he first of all says this, you have heard it said, You shall not commit murder. But I say to you, anyone who entertains anger in their heart against someone else has already committed the act of murder. So let me ask you a question. How many of you are guilty as charged of murder, like me? How many of you plead guilty? I do. I plead guilty. I have violated it. He then says this, you have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. I say to you, anyone who looks at another human being lustfully degrades them, dehumanizes them. Anyone who looks at another human being with lust in their heart has already committed the act of adultery. How many of you are guilty as charged and would confess and plead guilty to adultery. I do. I do. Every single one of us here have violated all of the laws. That's the point Jesus was making. And what could Jesus have done? He could have gone on with these, because these are taken directly out of the Ten Commandments. These are just double-clicked right out of the Ten Commandments. He could have said this. You have heard it said you shall remember the Sabbath and keep one day for Sabbath. But I say to you, anyone who does not give me every moment of every day of every week is already guilty of violating the Sabbath. Actually, Jesus is... Recorded as saying this in Mark's gospel very clearly. Here's what he says. Mark's gospel, chapter two, verses 27 through 28. Then he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man. Don't miss this. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the son of man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Here's what Jesus is saying. You have relegated the Sabbath to a rule to a law, to a regulation. But I did not give it for that reason. That was not God's original intent. God's original intent of the Sabbath was to be a tremendous gift to you because of your intrinsic need for rest. God built everything in this world around rhythms. And one of the most beautiful rhythms that God has given us is this rhythm of Sabbath. He said this is my gift to you and I am the Lord over the Sabbath which means it is not ba- about the rigidity of I can't do this and I can't go there and I can't have that. It is rather about my gift to you because I love you so much. Paul actually echoes the spirit of Sabbath in the book of Colossians when he says this. Colossians two sixteen through 17. Do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or what you drink. How many of us have ever been guilty of that? Go into a restaurant, we see another brother or sister eating or drinking something and we judge them. Do not judge, don't let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to religious festival, to a new moon celebration or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come the reality, however, is found in Christ. What Paul is saying is very clear. He's saying, listen, the Sabbath is not designed to be about law. It is designed to be about spirit. Some Christians believe that God abolished somehow in Christ all of the Old Testament law and we're not to honor them. That is not the purpose. He said, I came to fulfill them. And here's what I'm giving back to you as a tremendous gift. The spirit of it, its original intent. So what was its original intent? Well, to to find it, all you need to do is go back to the book of Exodus, where we find the beginning of the Sabbath. It's found in the 10 commandments in Exodus chapter 20, where we read this, the fourth commandment, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all of your work, but on the seventh day, is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. For in six days the Lord made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and he rested on the seventh day. Now let me ask you two things. One, did God need rest? He's God. God, It's not a trick question. Did God need rest? The answer is no. That's not a trick question. God did not need it. There was nothing about rest that God needed. What God was doing was God was modeling something for us. God was saying to us as His creation, created to be like Him, that this is good for you. In fact, He calls it holy. Did you know it's the first time in the Bible that anything is called holy? I want you to think about that. God had created the entire world and all of the goodness that was in the world, he didn't call it holy. God created and fashioned man in his likeness and it was very good, but he didn't call them holy. God created marriage. What a tremendous, beautiful gift, but he didn't call it holy. That's not what he said. The Bible says he created procreation, the ability for us to now make people in our likeness, in our image. And what does the Bible say? The Bible says it's a wonderful thing. But this is the very first time that we read that God says he created something and he told us it is holy. What made it holy? That's the question. What distinguished this from everything else in our life? The word means set apart. Why did God set it apart as being holy and sacred? It's because God knew that we desperately needed it, and yet we would tragically neglect it. He knew human nature. And the reality is as God knew that everything inside of our world and inside of us would push against this. This is difficult, and what makes this difficult, it is it is tremendously countercultural. In fact, there is little to nothing in our world today that actually encourages Sabbath. Did you know that? There's nothing that is encouraging, affirming, speaking of its value, in fact, quite the contrary. I just did, in preparation for today's talk, I just did a Google search. And, and I wanted to see what is, over the last 200 years, what has been the usage of the word. Take a look at this. Look at that red tread line. There was a day in about the 1855s to 1860s that, that there was a spike in this idea of Sabbath value. What was going on? Well, we had a brand new president elected. President Abraham Lincoln, we had a civil war that was beginning, and people were recognizing they desperately needed something. But look how the trend line flatlines. And and here's the truth. There is little that speaks of value to Sabbath. We don't practice it. We don't respect it. We don't keep it holy because we simply don't see it as significant. Well, I'm here to tell you something today, friends. I'm here to tell you that of all the practices we will talk about, this is perhaps the most important one that we get down, the spirit of Sabbath. Now, I know what some of you are thinking right now. Some of you right now are thinking, isn't a Sabbath just a spiritual word for a day off or the weekend? Isn't that what it is? No, it's not. In fact, the idea of Sabbath and the idea of a day off are as different as day and night. Let me me just give you a few illustrations, a few examples of how they're different. A day off is something you earn. A Sabbath is a gift. Tremendous difference. On day off, you rest from your job, from your work. On Sabbath... Rest is your work. That is what you do. A day off is typically designed, it's typically used to catch up. Catch up on our projects, catch up on our life, catch up on what our priorities are. On Sabbath, you catch your breath. You catch your breath emotionally. You catch your breath spiritually You give yourself time to exhale and inhale for a period of time. A day off is all about you. A Sabbath is all about God in you. It is all about forming the person of Christ in you. And if you want to see the value of the original intent of Sabbath, all you got to do is go back to the second time. So, Beginning of the 40-year journey of the children of Israel, God gives the Ten Commandments, right? 40 years of wandering. Now before they're moving into the Promised Land, God reiterates it again. God says, listen, I want to tell you one more time. And in Deuteronomy, here's what he says. This is the repeat of the Ten Commandments. He repeats the Fourth Commandment, but he, ref- he, he reframes it differently. And it's really important to see the difference. Here's what he says. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt. And that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. How cool is that? How cool is that? Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. Here's what God is reminding them of for 400 years, you were slaves. For 400 years, you lived in servitude. For 400 years, someone else told you what was important. For 400 years, your value was completely connected to what you did, your worth was connected to your work. For 400 years, if you didn't work every day, you died, you were of no value. But that is not the way you are to live any longer. I have freed you. And why is God reminding them of this again, 40 years later, before they go into the promised land? Because God knew that they still were not living as free people, they still were living in bondage. They were free, but mentally, emotionally, they still lived their lives as slaves. When Abraham Lincoln signed the Emancipation Proclamation, how many slaves the very next day were free? All of them. How many of them lived as free? Not many. Not many. You see, we can know something, but not live it. And so what was the original intent of Sabbath? Why did God give it? What was its purpose? Well let me give you a few reasons and I and I think these are all significant. Significant enough that I would encourage you to take them and pray into them. Number 1 Sabbath reminds me that I am first a human being before I am a human doing that on Sabbath I accomplish nothing intentionally and yet I am still highly valued and highly loved by God. I need that reminder. And I need a steady reminder of that. Because I am prone to think that my worth is tethered to my work. It reminds me that I am first a human being, highly prized and loved by God, regardless of what I do. secondly, Sabbath teaches us. It teaches us how we are to live in this world, how God intended us to live, and that is that we are cultural atheists. We are living just like the children of Israel, saying, I am not gonna live my life based on being a slave any longer. I am an atheist. I no longer believe that's the way to live. The way I'm to live is the way God intended Thirdly, Sabbath trains us, trains us to embrace our limits and trust fully in God. Do you know what the original sin was? Go back to the original sin in the Bible in Genesis. And what you find is in Genesis chapter 3, the original sin was not embracing their limits and not fully trusting God. God said, any tree you can eat of, here's a limit. Don't eat that tree. Would they trust God? And when it comes to Sabbath, what God is trying to do is, God is trying to get us to a place of putting our full heart and confidence in Him. And so here's another intended purpose of it Sabbath prevents us from becoming too tethered to this world, from finding our security in this world. So I want to ask you a question Where do you find your security in this life? What is your primary source of security? Does it come from your job? Does it come from your retirement, your 401k, 403b? Does your primary source of security come from your health and your most recent physical? Does it come from your relationships? Where do we get our sense of security? Well, let me give you a piece of advice this morning. Never tether your security to something you can lose. The Sabbath is a reminder to us to keep us from becoming too tethered to something we will one day lose. And making sure that not only is our sense of identity found in God, but our sense of security is equally found in God. And so, for some of us here, this feels really overwhelming. Like, where do we even begin? Pastor Gil, if you only knew my schedule, if you only knew my work demands, if you only knew my life, you would recognize that there's no way for me to honor the spirit of Sabbath. Well, let me give you as we close this morning just one way that we can begin to strengthen our Sabbath muscle. And here's one way that we can do it. We can do it by taking baby steps. If you don't know where to begin this morning, I wanna urge you, take a baby step. And what would that look like when it comes to Sabbath? Give back to God every day a portion of your day. No, actually, let me rephrase that. Give back to God every day a portion of His day. You see, we often see our day and our time as our day and our time. In reality, what the Bible teaches is that our day and our time don't belong to us, they belong to God. And so it is giving back to God what he already has, what he has entrusted to us, and it's giving back a small portion of that back to God each and every day. Think of this as taking a mini-Sabbath. What is a way to practice a baby step? It's saying each and every day I want to take some of my time and I want to give it back to God. I want to take some time this day to integrate my heart with my life, with my world, with my job. I want to give God permission to search me As the psalmist prayed in Psalm 139, Search me, O God, and know me. Test me and know my heart. See if there be any offensive way in me. Lead me in paths of everlasting life. It is slowing down long enough to be with God each and every day. I can tell you, guaranteed, that a person that doesn't practice Sabbath typically does not practice either, taking time every day. And there is very few to anyone that I know that does Sabbath but doesn't practice giving God a portion of their day every day. They go hand in hand. So as we close this morning, let me just give you this final word of encouragement. It comes from the book of Hebrews. And here's what it says, Hebrews chapter four, verses nine through 11. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works just as God did from his. Let us, therefore, make every effort to enter that rest. By the way, This is not an Old Testament scripture. This is post the resurrection. Crucifixion and resurrection. This is for New Testament believers. There is a Sabbath rest that God says, I want you to enter into. I want you to rest from your works just as God did. And then he tells us this. Make no mistake about it. It is going to take some effort on our part. It will not come naturally. Therefore, he's encouraging us to make every effort to enter into that rest. And so I want to encourage you as we close this morning with two questions. And I want to encourage you this week, preferably today, to take some time and have a discussion with God about these questions. I want to encourage you to invite God into this And ask the Lord, where would I even begin to practice Sabbath, the gift of Sabbath? Where would I begin to take mini-Sabbaths? And we're gonna talk more about this next week. But here are the two questions. Question number one. What is preventing me from receiving the gift of Sabbath? What is preventing me from receiving the gift of Sabbath. What do you do with a gift? You receive it. So here's what happened when Jesus died. We no longer have to do the Sabbath. We now get to do the Sabbath. We get to do it. We get to practice it, just like God did. Not by way of law or obligation, but by way... Of honor and appreciation. It's a gift. So, what is preventing me from accepting and receiving his gift? And then, second question is this What is one step I can take this week to begin implementing a mini Sabbath every day? What is one step I can take this week to begin practicing? Listen, if you're here and you've never thought about this, don't shoot for the 24 hours. Shoot for the 24 seconds. Start there. And then maybe God will help you to move it up to a few minutes in time. But but that's where we begin. We take a step in God's direction of integration, of learning to practice sacred rhythms so that we can give God more of us and learn to live the kind of life that brings honor to him. We learn to grow up to become like Christ in every way. That should be, as followers of Christ, our high ambition. I invite you to stand this morning as we pray. A lot to think about this week, a lot to chew on, a lot to meditate on. And for some of you here, this is a topic you're going to have to wrestle with a little. Because you might have some family of origin baggage you carry that makes you want to resist Sabbath. Even the Word nauseates you because of what you experienced. For others of you here in this auditorium, this is such a new foreign concept. You wouldn't even know where to begin, and that's okay. I'm just going to ask you this week, invite God. If you're in one of our connection groups, you're going to unpack this more this week. But I'm going to invite you to bring God into it and invite the Lord and become fully surrendered to his will in this area of your life. That's where it begins. So would you just join your, join me in bowing your heads and I'm going to ask you just to, as an act of surrender, if you're comfortable doing it, just take your hands and open them in front of you. Instead of closed fists, let's just have an open hand. And let's say, God, this is not about what I can do or can't do. This is really about what you want to do in me. And I just want to be available. Can you imagine what we're missing out on because we're not accepting this gift? Can you imagine what it would be like if we just trusted him and we just began to practice the mini-Sabbath or a full Sabbath every week? Father, some of us can't even imagine it because it feels too good to be true. Or some of us can't even imagine it because it feels like such a high, unattainable goal. Some of us can't imagine it because we're afraid. We're afraid of what it might mean for our life. We're afraid of the consequence. We're afraid of what others might think. Some of us here are afraid to slow down because of what, of what it might reveal in our hearts. This can be a scary, intimidating practice. But my prayer is this morning that you will help each and every one of us to just be surrendered and yielded to you to give our lives fully to your leadership, You did not create us for Sabbath, God. You said you created Sabbath for us because it's a gift. And we repent this morning. We ask for your forgiveness that we have neglected, that we have ignored the practice of Sabbath. We have ignored a healthy work-rest cadence. And we've done it to the detriment of our own souls. So help us, God, to be surrendered and help us as we bring you into these topics and these questions that we would hear from you, that we would simply listen and obey. And we just invite you, God, to lead us to a better place, to higher ground, to follow the footsteps of Jesus so that we can become people whose lives look a lot like Jesus. We love you, we thank you, and we honor you. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. God bless you all. Have a great week. Thanks for listening. To learn more about Grace Crossing Church, including service times and directions, check us out on the web at www.gracecrossingchurch.net. We hope to see you at one of our upcoming weekend worship gatherings. Have a great day.